this is an aberration. I think, I think Trump represents real systemic issues and problems in our country about racism and, and xenophobia and intolerance and violence. But I believe that's a minority. And, and I do believe that. And, and I could, I could stay up every night. You know, you, you follow me on Twitter. People are like, how can you say that? How can you say this? The debate was good. Or how can you, I mean, part of it is I'm done being outraged. You know, in other words, I, I mean, I want to take agency. I'm Debbie Weil, and this is the Gap Year Podcast, where we discuss all the ingredients of this collective gap year, from embracing uncertainty to taking agency for what happens next. The perfect topics for Juliet Kayem, my guest today. Juliet is a longtime national security and terrorism expert with over 160,000 followers on Twitter, where she posts day and night. She has an extraordinary resume of public and private service, starting with the Department of Justice as a young lawyer, then joining the National Commission of Terrorism in 1999 and helping to write their report in the year 2000, recognizing the growing terror threat in the U.S. She gave birth to her first child a few weeks before 9-11. She later became the Assistant Secretary for Intergovernmental Affairs in the Department of Homeland Security, where, among other things, she handled the agency's response to the H1N1 pandemic crisis and orchestrated the incredibly complicated government response to the BP oil spill in 2010. Later, she became a Pulitzer Prize-nominated columnist for the Boston Globe and started her own consulting company. She's now a professor at Harvard's Kennedy School and an analyst for CNN. She's also, importantly, the mother of three children and the author of a terrific book, part memoir, part primer, on national security and parenthood, titled Security Mom, My Life Protecting the Home and Homeland. Disaster is her thing, or as she puts it, and pardon my language, shit happens. It's how you respond to and prepare for it that counts. We recorded this conversation before Trump tested positive for COVID, so you won't hear mention of that. But we do talk about the sense of anxiety in this country right now, both because of COVID and because of the current president, and about Trump's attempts to stoke fear and to incite violence with his tweets. She calls what Trump does on Twitter stochastic terrorism, and to her delight, it's been adopted as a hashtag. It means random and unpredictable violence, which, she tells us, is the definition of terrorism. I loved this brief conversation, and I hope you will too. Juliet is a breath of fresh air and energy, lots of energy, during this anxiety-ridden period in the U.S., At the end of the interview, she says she's got to get off the call to get ready for a CNN appearance. She's 51, she tells us, so she needs time to do her hair and makeup. The CNN segment, on which she appeared minutes later, showed her ready for primetime, zooming in from her home in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Tune in to hear from an optimistic and inspiring security mom. Juliet, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm so pleased to be here. Thank you for having me. 
Well, I've been diving into Twitter and your Twitter. And by the way, it's just to research our conversation. And I've been there for hours. But on Twitter, you say you you say that you are a Harvard professor, a CNN analyst, an advisor, a former assistant secretary in the Department of Homeland Security, CEO of your excuse me, yeah. of your consulting company, a mother of three, you're the author of Security Mom. You might be a podcast host. Tell me who you are. What is your identity? What do you tell people? Oh, so, so it's funny. I'm, I mean, it, I'm, I think I'm defined by, uh, you know, by family mostly, not, not professionally. I'm the mother of three kids and that's the, especially in the middle of a pandemic, that's the most primary thing. But, you know, professionally, I like to say, I often say like I, I've had one career, but many jobs. So what you just described, I've, I've, you know, been in government, I've been in state government, federal government. I, you know, do TV, I do radio. I, um, but you know, and that career or that passion is really about risk reduction. It's really about anticipating the harms that may come our way and helping people get ready for them. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to ask you about that. So, um, but I guess, can I ask one more time? Like, what is yeah. your identity? identity beyond mom? I mean, do you, yeah. do you wake up in the morning and say, you know, I guess I really am a terrorism expert or? No, I mean, I don't, it's funny you said like, I, I mean, maybe I should, <laughs> maybe I should go into therapy for this, but it's funny. I, um, that, you know, that identity is, it's funny. I don't know if I, if I do that kind of self-reflection in a weird way. My husband says about me, which I think is probably consistent with not just who I am as a mother, but but my job professionally is somehow you didn't get the stew gene. He always says that to me, S-T-E-W, which is, <laughs> which is, I don't stew about stuff. I mean, if you said sort of what is, it's just sort of like, okay, today's today, you know, not to quote the president, it is what it is and try to make it better and happy and smile and, and pace the rage in this, in this era. And, you know, I guess I did say to a friend, uh, you know, every every morning I have a choice to be, you know, depressed, angry, or try to laugh, and I'm just going to will myself to laugh. You know, I mean, I think just given everything that's going on. Yeah. Well, so right now at this moment, before the U.S. presidential election, you know, there is this pervasive sense of anxiety in this country. And, you know, I guess along with that, a lack of a sense of security, because that's kind of your area. You can't control what's happening. Uh, talk about that. So, I mean, I think with, with the COVID right now. Well, everything. I was, yeah. was going to combine COVID with anxiety about the future of the country. Um, I mean, I say, say to my kids, you know, the one good thing is if we survive this, you'll never have a worse husband. I mean, worse husband, worse than that. That was weird. Worse president in your lifetime. And I, um, you know, that's, that's like the one good thing of where they live. So I'm, an, I mean, you, maybe you can hear it in my voice or even on Twitter. I'm at, at bottom an optimist. I think you can't choose to be in my career or you wouldn't want to choose to be in my career if you didn't see humanity sort of heading in the right direction and that bad things that happen or bad people that come into leadership are are challenges, but that's not who we are. And I think that helps me every morning. I mean, it really does. And so, and I do believe, I mean, I know everyone's shell-shocked from 2016 and we don't believe any of the polls and stuff, but I do believe that this is an aberration. I think, I think Trump represents real systemic issues and problems in our country about racism and and xenophobia and intolerance and violence. 
but I believe that's a minority. And, and, and I do believe that. And, and I could, I could stay up every night. You know, you, you, you follow me on Twitter. People are like, how can you say that? How can you say this? The debate was good. Or how can you, I mean, part of it is I'm done being outraged. You know, in other words, I, I mean, I want to take agency. And I want my kids to take agency of this time and assert our power rather than our fear or our anger, you know, or, or just hiding under the covers. It's just not an option. We have as, as, as a country, as individual, we have agency now to own this. And I, and I'm mm. so tired of him, you know, that I mean, part of it is I want to. So you're on Twitter every day, yeah. I guess several, a number of times a day, yeah. and you use it as a way to get out, you know, serious yeah. messages and com- commentary on the news. Why, why Twitter? Um, I mean, part of it is, um, is, is, you know, some, some of it is default. I'm not on, I have a Facebook page, but I don't update it. I'm done with Facebook. Um, but Twitter is for two reasons. One is it, because it's writing, I can actually, as you see, when, whether it's a single tweet or it's a tweet storm, because I am at heart a policy person, I'm political, I'm, you know, I'm media, I do all sorts of stuff, but at heart, you know, I, I believe in policy driving uh, or ideas driving policy. Twitter lets me do that either as a single tweet or as a tweet storm. Part of it for people listening is reporters are on Twitter. So if you mm. want to actually get an idea out about uh, about radicalization or or stochastic terrorism, which is what I've been talking about a lot lately, about the president utilizing, you know, um, radicalization words to inspire violence in his people and his supporters, if you do that, um, uh, you know, it's a way to sort of communicate to the right audience. There's a lot of badness to it. As like you, I can get completely distracted. I'm trying to get better. I've got a little, yeah, you know, I've got routines in which I put it down for a couple hours and stuff. So you'll see like what you, you probably don't notice this, but like what you'll see is like super early in the morning because I wake up super <laughs> early. Then there's a gap. Then I go on at lunchtime. So, and then because I'm about to, we're talking now and I'm about to go on CNN. So I'll, I'll do one right before that to tell people. And then I probably won't be on again till six. Um, and then, and then I either close it down at six for, you know, 20 minutes, unless there's breaking news or I'm back on air. So that's sort of how I think about it is, is it's a, it's a way of dialoguing. And for me, because I'm in an academic institution, I'm a professor at the Kennedy School. It's a way to get my ideas out to a really large audience. You know, the, the, you know, if you know, if I publish something in International Security Journal, yeah, you know, how many readers is that going to get? Right. So part of it is, yeah, I want these ideas to get out because they're meaningful and they're of import at a time when our country is trying is struggling with divisiveness and radicalization and a pandemic. So mm. um, and so and and it just happens to be that the things that people are talking about are the things I know something about. I'm not, this is not false modesty. The honest truth is, is if you knew me or were following me during the impeachment, I'd had nothing to say, right? I mean, that's, mm. that was, you know, so, so part of it is, or not much to say about that process. I won't chime in about everything. Um, so I don't, you know, I, you know, someone else can chime in about a Supreme court nomination or, or healthcare. Real part of it is, is creating your own voice by, by focusing it. Right. I mean, in other words, I can't be outraged about everything. I can't be pissed off, sorry, or whatever, but you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, so that's how I think about Twitter and I just absolutely love it except for it's, you know, sucking noise aspect of, of time. <laughs> yeah. Well, talk about, stochastic yes terrorism and i'm going to admit i consider myself you know pretty pretty good vocabulary but i had not heard the phrase stochastic terrorism so i have an idea now but yeah. you, you tell us 
so a, a while back, it became, so I come from the counterterrorism world. So the idea of stochastic terrorism has been out there. And stochastic is, um, is basically a way of describing a randomly determined process. In other words, we, we know something will happen. We just don't know when, where, or how. Okay. So just think that's what stochastic terrorism is. Uh, I mean, stochastic means stochastic terrorism is is what I began to describe Trump about maybe three years ago, which was he was using his platforms, Twitter, the press conferences, the rallies. He was using his platform to radicalize or promote violence uh, for political purposes. That's why it's terrorism so that his adherents or his followers would know exactly what he meant. In other words, he's not, Trump is, Trump is not so stupid to go up there and say, I want you all to shoot out a bunch of, of you know, voting areas in Detroit, Michigan. He's not, he's not saying that. But what are his people hearing? They're hearing a man who says it's going to be unfair. They're hearing a man who essentially supports racism and white supremacy. They're hearing a man who embraces guns and violence as a means of, of effectuating policy change. Um, and so they're, they're putting the pieces together. He doesn't need to. And he's been doing this for years. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that people are picking, you know, so I've been like, I've been like this big loser, like, you know, all my wonky words on Twitter and people are like, what the heck are you talking about? But now I'm like, you know, I'm like one of these people's like, oh my God, you know, people are now talking about this weird thing that I've been talking about. So that's what stochastic terrorism means. And it's a, it's a hashtag. Yeah. Saw that. Thank you. So, Very excited. Um, so stochastic, I guess what struck me looking it up and following your tweets was it's, I guess it's a statistics were, but it, it means random. And yeah. of course, random is what makes us so uncertain and makes us so anxious and what kind of creates this terrifying, well, what yeah. what's going to happen next? So am I getting that part right? That's exactly right. So it's the, it's the, it's what's random is the place, the where, so I want to compare this and I don't, I'm not comparing Trump to bin Laden and I'll be careful, but like you think about a typical terrorist organization, this is a world I came out of, right? You have a leader, the leader says, I want you to hijack 19, you know, four airplanes and attack, you know, New York City on September 11th, right? So that's, that's you, that's your directed terrorist attack. This is different. This means that the terror attack is likely, more likely because of the language and because of the atmosphere. We just don't know what it's going to be. Mm, yeah. So your book, Security Mom. I'm reading it right now. I'm enjoying oh, wonderful. it. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I mean, I mean, I think it's just a brilliant mix of personal and professional. And I just was just sort of honing in on a couple of things you said. Um, you talk in the beginning about being an Arab American. Yeah. And it was kind of what that means. And then you write, I was not born to be a terrorism expert. I morphed into one. Yeah. So I just, this, why did you write the book? Because it seems like you're so busy. Right. So, I mean, so I had left government, um, that line, I had forgotten that line. I mean, that line is actually for younger. And I I know your audience, I mean, for, you know, people who are thinking about career shifts and stuff like that. So I thought I was going to be a civil rights attorney, you know, working for the government, you know, promoting criminal justice. I mean, that was where my career was headed. Uh, and then there's, as, as you read, I mean, there's some moments that define a career and you have an opportunity to take advantage of them. And then there was moments that, you know, are tragedies for a nation like 9-11, where you just happen to be in that space. Right. So I don't know if you're there yet, but, you know, it was August 3rd, 2001. My first child is born, Cecilia. I am on maternity leave. 
And mm. I'm literally, you know, I had left the Commission on Terrorism. And I'm literally having conversations with people because I wasn't going to work until January of, uh, of 2002. So it's going to take six months. I'm literally having conversations with people like, well, there's, you know, there's no growth in terrorism and counterterrorism. Oh. And you know, exactly. So, so part of it is, you know, you take advantage of, but the book was really my way. You know, I didn't want to write a wonky book. I didn't want to write a, uh, you know, I, mean, I have done those, right? I mean, you've seen, like I, you know, I've just had a book come out called Beyond 9-11. Like I, I can do the wonky stuff. I wanted a book that would relate to women in particular, but to families and communities about how this scary stuff out there can be managed. And so the key theme is, you know, there's an options between tuning out and freaking out. I think you see this a little bit with the pandemic, right? There is a path forward that is not ignoring the threat, but it's also not being so paralyzed that you're letting the threat own you. This is COVID, if we had a functioning government, is a very manageable pandemic. It's horrible and it's it would it changes our life, but it is manageable. And that's the yeah. to me, that's the tragedy of this is this is not, you know, Martians coming from some planet and you know they 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 morph into liquid if you try to destroy them. Like, I mean, this is not this is a virus. The virus wants two things, right? It wants a living host right? Strong enough to live off and, and not to kill it, right? So that's what, that's why it keeps moving around. And it wants respect. It demands respect. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we didn't, we didn't do the latter. Yeah. All right. So I know you're under time pressure here because CNN is calling. So here's my question. What do you do to relax? Do you meditate? Do you read? Do you have a favorite, favorite TV series during the All pandemic? The above. All the, I don't, I meant those. So I, so I wake up early, I mean, there's a couple of things I thought about it because it has been, even for me, it has been insane because my kids are all home, right? So it is, you know, you're trying to be a mom and, you know, and all this stuff. So um, I wake up early because if I don't get, even if I'm tired, I'd rather get an hour less of sleep and just have that, you know, coffee, listening to NPR, you know, walk the dog hour. Like that's where I'd rather get, because if, if I don't have that and I wake up late, and I haven't, you know, done the emails and stuff. Um, I'm a long distance runner and I, I, I'm pretty good about disciplining myself to do that when I have more time, which I did this summer and, and on weekends, if you follow me on weekends, I do surf. That is, that's my yoga. Surfing is a very, very Ooh. peaceful. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're, you're waiting for the wave. You're, it's a very peaceful sport. Uh, I read, I tend to read fiction. I, I tend to, I read less on history and nonfiction. And I, you know, I have a husband and three kids who give me uh, great joy. So, you know, I try, but it's hard. I mean, right now, I mean, I'd be, in, you know, I'd be a fool to say that it doesn't have its stresses on a family. I've got two teenage boys who, you know, are banging off the walls and a daughter who, you know, <laughs> is taking time off from college. It's not ideal. No, I know. What's the last fiction book you read that you loved? Oh my God. The Vanishing Half. Have you heard about it? No, it was, I'll look it up. Oh, it was, it's so terrific. It's, uh, um, I mean, I think it's done pretty well. It's by Britt Bennett. It's her second book. And I think her first book called The Mothers did very well. So Girlfriend gave it to me and um, I plowed through it in about four days. I mean, if a, if a book is good because, you know, you have enough downtime or you're, you know, putzing around. Um, the irony is I do not watch news. Um, so, oh. so, so people will say to me, oh, you know, CNN did this. I was like, I was like why are you watching it? Like, I'm I, not, not because I don't like it or it doesn't. It's just, you know, CNN is intended to watch either when it's breaking or, you know, an hour a day. You're not, people who have it on all the time, oh, it, yeah. your, your brain can't process it. 
Yeah, no, I, I tried to get my husband off it. Yeah, but tell him, tell him it's not designed that way. Like it's actually, you could tell him from me that he's abusing it. Oh, I, I will tell him that because yeah. he, doesn't, he doesn't listen to me. So yeah. one more question. So what else should I ask you that I have not asked? Oh, nothing. I mean, I think this was nice. I This was like, yeah, I mean, this was good. But um, you can ask me about hope. Oh, to, do you have hope? I do. I do. I think I think uh, I think there's been tremendous reckonings in the last couple of, of years. And we have a lot of cleaning up to do. But I, I've been feeling pretty optimistic lately for my kids. Wow. Well, that's I love that. And and I thank you for that. Of course. Well, this was such a pleasure. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Much okay. Well, I'm, I'm 51 years old, so it takes me a while to get ready for CNN. So I'm going to get off now, but thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Juliet. Bye-bye. Bye. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you. And that's a wrap for this episode of The Gap Year Podcast. If you're feeling inspired, please leave a review on iTunes. It really helps us grow. If you've got ideas for future shows, email us at thegapyearpodcast at gmail.com. And remember, however you want to reinvent your life, now is the moment. Just start. This is Debbie Weil, your host. Till next time.